Amen. Aloha, church. You can remain standing and open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. This morning we're in Ephesians, evening, we're in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which, with which he had blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you as your people to worship you together and to hear from you, we just pray, we just ask that you would move amongst us that you would open up the eyes of our heart, that we would see your glory, that we would be filled with praise, just like Paul is filled with praise here in this text, Lord. Father, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot to unpack. I just pray that we would not be confused, but that clarity would be here, Lord. And we pray that you would do that by the power of your Spirit. Lord, make yourself known to us. Make Jesus, his glory shine for us, because you are our only hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Aloha church. Hope you are all doing well today. Um, aloha to those who are joining us online um, tonight or later through the week. And before we start, I have one announcement to make um, this Tuesday morning, we're starting our prayer group back up. So Tuesdays at 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, right here in the pavilion, uh, we're going to have a prayer. And so we're going to pray about the church, the needs of the church uh, for you. Um, so you are invited. You're welcome to come and join us in those prayers. And also, if you have any prayer requests, you can send them in to aloha at shorebreakchurch.com. 
or drop them off uh, at the box there at the connect table, and we will make sure to uh, pray for you. Well, this section of scripture, like what even is this? Is this a song? Is this a prayer? Is this just a rant by Paul? What is this? Um, this is actually, in original Greek, one long sentence. Uh, we have five. And those five sentences still seem too long. But in the original Greek, Paul does this in one sweep, without a stop. Something is overwhelming him. This is an outburst of praise, an outburst of blessing and worship to God. Over 250 words without a dot. He couldn't stop. It's very obvious that Paul is excited about this. He is full of wonder. It's like when we experience something amazing in life, and there's just something here, and we just need to go and find our best friend or someone we love and just tell them. This is what's happening. Paul is overwhelmed with mystery of God that has been revealed to them. He's writing this to the church. And so he's just going and going. As you read this, it just builds and builds without a pause. It's like a, theologians have compared it to a snowball that starts off small and just tumbles down the hill, getting bigger and bigger and more dense. This section is packed with theology. It's packed with truth about God, about who he is. It's thick. It's rich. Some have compared it to looking into a kaleidoscope. Filled with so many colors, so many shapes, so many schemes. And that's what this is. It's even hard to even take a grasp this, to, to put a finger on it. Paul here sweeps from eternity past, before the foundations of the world. This is verse 4. And he looks into eternity future, verse 10. Many theologians have called these verses a magnificent gateway into Ephesians. And that's what it is. It's grand. It makes an impression. It's basically a eulogy, a doxology of praise to God. And as we read it, as we study it, you'll see that it's very Trinitarian. The Godhead is on display. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, they're all on display in these verses. And so you might ask, what is Paul all excited about? What's the big deal here? What is he praising God for? And Paul sums it up like this. He is blessing God for every spiritual blessing. Paul looks into the past. Paul looks at the present Paul looks into the future, and everywhere he looks, there's this 
overflow. There's an abundance of God's blessing and God's grace. In verse 8, he uses this word, lavished. He lavished us. What that word means in Greek is literally to give more than what is asked. Abundantly more. You ask for five bucks, you get 5,000. But this is God doing it. God is not holding back. God is lavishly blessing his people. And so Paul calls this blessing. He sums it up as spiritual blessings. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so, right off the bat, what we got to mention, what we got to see, is that the nature of these blessings is spiritual. Paul's not excited because he got a new car or a house. That's not what's filling his heart. And if you are measuring God's worth, if you are measuring God's blessing to you, if you view it through the material lens, then you're looking in all the wrong places. God does bless us physically, and he deserves all the glory, all the honor for his physical provision to us, but far more far greater church than any material blessings are God's spiritual blessings. And so what are they? What are these blessings? In this text, we see forgiveness of sin, redemption, salvation, election, adoption, future unification and glory, and inheritance. But ultimately, as we go through these blessings, as we look at them closely, what we need to see, what we need to realize is that the greatest blessing is Jesus Christ himself. If you have Jesus, if Jesus is your Lord, if he is your Savior, all these blessings that Paul is talking about, they're automatically yours. God the Father is the initiator. We see that he's the giver of these gifts. But the gifts are given to us through Jesus, by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, when you look at the list of all these gifts, front and center, as Paul talks about them, is Jesus himself. Let's look at the gift of election, verse 4. He, it's the Father, chose us in him, Jesus. Verse 5, where he talks about election and adoption again. He says, he, that's the Father, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, again, through Jesus Christ. Inheritance, the gift of inheritance, verse 11. In him, that's Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance. Redemption and forgiveness in verse 7. In him, 
That's Jesus. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And again, future glory, future unification. We see that in verse 10 as we read, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Again, Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. And so before we go any further, I want to make this clear to all of you. The most important point of this sermon is that the greatest blessing you could ever receive or possess, spiritual or material, is God himself. It's Jesus. If you have Jesus, every blessing of God is yours. That's just the reality. And we can't pick and choose our blessings. You can't have forgiveness and future glory. You can't have it without Jesus. You can't have adoption. You can't have inheritance without Jesus. It all begins with him. In fact, 11 times Jesus is mentioned as the one in whom all these blessings are. And so we can't even begin, we can't even begin to fathom how richly the Father has blessed us in Christ Jesus. And if you have Jesus, you possess all those great riches. It's the greatest, that's the most important point of the sermon. We can go home now. I'm kidding. (laughs) And so we can see that Paul is excited about these blessings. He displays them to us. But he isn't just excited about the spiritual blessings. He's also excited about how God gives these blessings. There is a time element in these verses, like we, we said. God is unveiling his blessings through the history of time. It's as though Paul is drawing a timeline. We've all seen a timeline at school with the teacher, and then they fill it out for us. This is something what Paul is doing here. He's filling it out, and he is showing us how God has been giving these gifts and how he's giving these blessings throughout time. We have God at work before the foundations of the world, before time even existed. God is choosing. That's verse 4. God at work in his people right now. He's adopting them. He is sealing them. He is forgiving and redeeming them. And we have God at work in the future. Uniting heaven and earth. Giving us an inheritance. That's verse 10. Past, present, and future blessings. So we see Paul spells out the blessings for us. Those blessings are giving throughout time. And the next thing we see here is the way that God gives these blessings to his people through time. And what we see is that God is not random. He doesn't just 
pour out his blessing whenever he feels like it. But there is a plan. There's a meticulous, careful plan at work. God has purpose. God has meaning for all that he does. And when it comes to blessing us, God is at work orchestrating how those blessings flow from him. And look at how Paul emphasizes and highlights this fact. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Here it is, according to the purpose of his will. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. In verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of of his will. The sovereign God confused my stuff here. Sovereign God is unfolding the plan of salvation. He's unleashing these spiritual blessings in Christ, and He does it according to His will, according to His purpose, according to His plan. And His counsel is Himself. The wisdom, the power that he uses to do this is himself. He is self-reliant. He's not doing this bound by something else but himself. And nothing can derail God's purposes. Nothing can derail God's plans. Nothing can stand against his will. And this is why Paul is excited. He sees all these blessings of God in Christ given to us through time and God is working all of this not randomly but according to a plan according to the counsel of his will. And so we're going to be parked in these verses um, Ephesians, th- Ephesians 1, 3 through, 12, 3 through 14 for the next three weeks. Uh, This week, we're going to look at the spiritual blessing of election. We're going to look at the past. Next week, we're going to look at the the spiritual blessing of adoption, how God works all that out. Uh, That's in the the spiritual blessings we experience in the present. And lastly, we will look on the third week, the blessing of God uniting all things in the future. And so, the grand opening of this massive sentence of Paul's, Paul's excitement didn't just come to him one day as he's just sitting there randomly. 
Um, He's not speaking these words into a vacuum. Something is going on. There's a story here. Something is happening in real time that makes Paul realize this. It's like an epiphany. It's an aha moment for Paul. Something that was so mysterious, it was hidden for thousands of years, bits and pieces of clues here and there, is now taking shape. It's becoming clear. And here's what's happening. Here's what's happening on the, on, on the world scene at this time. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is going out to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, to those who do not belong to Israel, and these Israelites, these, these Gentiles are being saved. They're experiencing the grace of God. They're experiencing forgiveness of sin. They're experiencing redemption. And some of you might be wondering, why is that special? Like, what's so special about that? A little history. For thousands of years, for the most for the most part, the only people that had access to God was those who belonged to Israel. They were the chosen ones. They were the recipients of all of God's blessings. They were God's people. And now here at this moment, Paul and the rest of the apostles are experiencing something revolutionary. The gospel of Jesus Christ is spilling out of Jerusalem. It's spilling out of Judea, and it's going into Samaria, and it's going to the ends of the earth. People in Rome are being saved. People in Corinth, in Ephesus, and through the entire world, people are coming to know Jesus. Churches are popping up all over the place. People of every race, language, color are being saved and transformed by the good news of Jesus. Something that was only for Israel is now for all the nations. God is not just the God of the Jews, but he has redeemed himself people out of every nation. And for some reason, this caught everybody off guard. In Acts, we have this story about Peter. He's, God called him, God sent an angel to tell him to go and uh, preach in the house of Cornelius. Cornelius was not a Jew. Peter hesitated, but he finally submitted. He goes to Cornelius' house. He preaches the gospel, and the whole household gets saved. And when the rest of the apostles heard what happened, here's what they did. Here's what they said. This is in Acts 11, verses 1 through 3. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them. 
they did not care that these people received Jesus. They're like, what are you doing eating with these Gentiles? What are you doing bringing the gospel to them? What a reaction. There's a few instances like this in the New Testament. And so the rest, uh, pretty much the rest of the chapter, Peter builds, is building a case. He's telling them what he's experienced. He's telling them how God has really, how God is really at work in the Gentiles and how he really saved Cornelius and his household. And so Acts eleven eighteen we read, when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This was the climate in those times. God began to save Gentiles. Salvation began to spread to all the nations. It's a new thing for them. Like I said, it was new, but it wasn't unexpected. God has, throughout the Old Testament, dropped all sorts of clues that were pointing to this day. One of the earliest and clearest is actually in Genesis twenty-two seventeen. God tells Abraham, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. In your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. What is the greatest blessing? Material, spiritual, what is the greatest blessing? We just talked about it. It's Christ. It's Jesus in whom all other blessings are. And so the offspring of Abraham is Jesus. And in Jesus, all nations will be blessed. This is is just clear. Now to us, it's clear looking back. To them, it was not so clear. And so, in Genesis 22, God is already revealing his plan to his people. God is already showing Abraham what he's going to do. And so here's what Paul does. He is seeing the nations being blessed through Jesus. He's seeing this in front of his very own eyes, through his own ministry, through the ministry of the other apostles, And he realizes that all these things that God has promised in the Old Testament are happening. And he's like, hey, this plan that God told Abraham about, what we see unraveling here as the Gentiles are being saved, this goes way back. This goes back before time even existed before anything was ever created, before the foundations of the world were even laid. 
Paul's showing the Ephesian church. Paul's showing the Gentiles. Paul's showing everyone, including us. Christians, you are not plan B. Gentiles, you are not an afterthought. It's not as though God failed with Israel and now he's going to try with some other nations. No. In the span of history, it might look like you're plan B. It might look like you're an afterthought, but here is the reality. Before Israel ever was, Before Abraham ever was, I knew you. I chose you to be my people, to be adopted into my family, to be brought into my kingdom. Before the world was created, you were already the recipient of God's spiritual blessing all the way back church this applies to us as well all the way back then you were already loved by God and known by God again this is why Paul is excited the little bits and pieces of clues to this mystery in the Old Testament were there that God would somehow bless the nations through Israel, and now it's finally clear. Paul is seeing it happen in front of his own eyes as the Gentiles are being saved. This was God's perfectly executed plan. His will from eternity past making itself known. This topic is huge. We could be preaching for weeks on weeks. But we're going to be, I'm going to just ask a few basic questions. We're going to be objective and stick to mostly Ephesians here. So for the first, and the first question is, why did God choose us? Why did he choose us? Why did he choose you to be adopted into his family? Why did he predestine us before the foundations of the world to be his? What was so special about us? And first, I want to look with you at Israel. Why did God choose Israel? What was so special about them? And if we go to De- De- Deuteronomy chapter 7, Verse 6, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. Moses says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you 
or fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to his father that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. It is because the Lord loves you. Deuteronomy 9.6 He says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. God chose Abraham. God chose Israel for one reason. He loved them. Israel was no better than any other nation. Actually, it was worse. It was not greater than any other nation. He says, your numbers were actually fewer. They were rebellious. They were disobedient. And he chose her for no other reason than the fact that he loved her. So why did he choose us? Same reason. Look at verse 4. End of verse 4. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. It's love. We are recipients of God's spiritual blessing of election because of his love. Nothing that you did earned you that status. Nothing else was a factor in God's choosing of you. Nothing but his love and his grace. And instead of helping our case, we actually made it worse. As he loved us, we, on the other hand, did not love him. We were his enemies. We loved everything but him. And if God would treat us as we deserve, if God would give us justice, we would receive wrath, we would receive death. For all that we've had to offer was our transgressions and our sin. And instead of justice, we are recipients of his love. Even before the foundations of the world. How amazing is that? Outside of Ephesians, Paul continues this teaching. It's a clear teaching of the New Testament and the Old Testament. I'm just going to read one verse where Paul sums up all that we talked about together. It's 2 Timothy 1, 8. 2 Timothy 1, 8, if you want to go there. Paul says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, 
but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and, and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. We see it here again. Some summation of everything that Paul talks, is talking about in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 12, 3 through 14. We see God's undeserved grace, his blessing and love given to us in Christ according to his purpose, his will, before time began, before ages began. And he makes it clear. It's not because of our works. It's not because of anything we have done. But it is all the riches of his love, the riches of his grace. Election is one of the clearest expressions of God's love for his people. It's God lavishing extravagantly, generously, richly pouring out his love, nothing held back. God doesn't, doesn't just love us, his people, in this moment. But he has loved you from eternity past into eternity future. Just as you are, knowing fully who you are, knowing fully all of your thoughts, all of your emotions, all that you have done against him, he still loves you. And he chose you to be the recipient of his grace. That's how rich his love is. That's how extravagant and lavish this grace is. Paul is not just using these words for no reason. He's trying to make a point here. And as we wrestle with this truth, as we see what it is to be blessed by God to receive the spiritual blessing from eternity past. A few things to keep in mind. Election is not a human construct. This is not a doctrine that was created by man. This is a clear teaching of scripture about God's love reaching out towards us from eternity past. Choosing us to belong to him. Election is a spiritual blessing to be enjoyed by us today, to be relished by us today. And I understand that this is a huge topic. There's much implications that we just are not going to get into today. But here's the truth. Here's something to understand. If you don't fully grasp this doctrine it's okay 
Remember, if you are in Christ, if you love Jesus, if he is your Lord, and if he is your Savior, these blessings are yours. Even if you don't understand them, they are yours, and they are good. These blessings are not accumulated by us. They're not unlocked somehow. We don't achieve them through our Christian life in Christ They are ours. If you have Jesus, you have everything you need. You have all of these blessings. Everything that is his is yours. And through life, God will will reveal to us the riches of his glory as grace. We have a lot to look forward to. Again, there's much left to be said about this. But there's also much left as a mystery. And a few things that we tend to do as we think about doctrines and theologies that we don't under, can't grasp. Some of the things that we tend to do is one, we can't. If, if we grasp, I'm talking to those who are theology nerds, they geek out on this stuff. <laughs> we can't go on explaining away the doctrine of election as though we have figured out every nuance and every implication. God has revealed to us a lot about himself. But our minds are too small to fully comprehend him. At least mine is. I don't know about yours. So there is much mystery still left to be unveiled for us. And we must be okay with mystery. So don't go explaining this thing away as though you've got it all figured out. And secondly, on the other side... What we do sometimes when we don't understand something, we tend to deny it. Or we put the general big label, this is a mystery, and we should not even immerse ourselves into it. We shouldn't even touch that. It cannot be understood. Again, there is a reason why God reveals to us his truth. There's a reason why God reveals to us these doctrines Election is clearly on display in Scripture. It cannot be denied. Be okay with accepting truth that you don't understand. That friction is good for us. That mystery is good for us. And lastly, as we hear this truth, it should stir up a response in our hearts. It should cause something to happen in our life. And so first, church, let this truth humble us. That the God of the universe would set his eye on you before the creation of the world. While we were dead in sin, he did did this. 
And so there is no room for pride or for boasting as we live our Christian life. It is not because of our merit or our works. None of those things mattered when he made us his own. It was all in his love. It's all rooted in his rich grace. And this truth should fill us with humble gratitude. Secondly, as you think about this blessing, this spiritual blessing, take comfort in this truth. That the God of the universe, the sovereign king over all, is sovereign over your salvation. From beginning to end, he will see that the work that he began in you, he will bring it to completion. That is his promise. Rest in that security. Be assured. Be comforted by this truth. And lastly, let it cause us to worship God like Paul is worshiping God in these verses. And God is expecting this praise. Look why God is doing this. Verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12. To the praise of his glory. Verse 14. To the praise of his glory. This doctrine is meant to leave us dumbfounded like it did Paul. It's meant to leave us astonished in disbelief that God would do such a thing, that God would bless us with such immeasurable and rich grace. And experiencing this, if you have experienced this in your life, it's to bring out a reaction of praise and worship to God. God's done it all. Let's respond to his glorious grace and praise him with our lips, with our hearts, and with our hands. So church, today, throughout the week, and for all eternity, may that be a reality for us. Let's pray. Father, How great is your love. It's so great that we are resisting to accept it. It's so great that we are afraid to even believe that you would love us knowing all that we have done. You would love us before you would even create this world. But that is the truth, God, and we thank you for that that you did not leave us dead in our sin, but you have loved us from eternity past. Father, I just pray that we, as your church, as your people, would be filled with praise just like Paul is. That it would be on our lips, Lord. That we would somehow at least grasp a little bit of this reality, Lord. That we would see past all of our materialistic things, Lord, and grasp 
this blessing of eternity, your love for us, your lavish grace. And Father, I pray that this truth would transform us, that it would cause us to live differently, to think differently, to worship you above everything else in our lives, Lord. I just pray that this would be a reality for your church, especially today, right now. Lord, we thank you for all of these blessings, and I pray that you would continue uh, blessing our study through this book of Ephesians, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.